where we're doing a series entitled Navigate, helping you take the next step in your purpose, in your journey with God. And it has been a great series so far, understanding how do we move from here to there was the first sermon. Last week, Greg killed it, speaking about how do we move from ashes to beauty. And today, we have Pastor Roger and Pastor Nicola together sharing the word on how to move from striving to surrender. Now, you know, when you are around people enough, many times you can forget the kind of gift that they are to you. Uh, all the husbands didn't say amen to that point, right? <laughs> the reality is we are so privileged to have the fathers and mothers that we have in these two individuals. And when they speak, uh, they don't just speak as preachers or pastors, but the Bible says we have many teachers but few fathers. And these are one of those people that when they speak, I hope you open your heart to hear a message, not just from a father and a mother, but really apostolic figures in our church who really have done so much for our movement here, but also so much for this city and for this nation. So, I know he doesn't like that kind of intro. That's why I do it. Let's give Pastor Roger a hand, please. Let's pray together. Father, I pray for a revelation of you this evening. Lord, this grand theme of moving, Lord God, from being a slave from being an orphan to being a son, from striving, Lord God, to finding a place of peace and joy. Father, I pray for that Holy Spirit, that spirit of adoption to be manifested here tonight. Lord, for every one of us, Lord God, where we are outside of your embrace, outside of your favor, outside of your guidance, Lord God, that you would come in, and we, in turn, would receive you. Lord, we welcome you here tonight. Father, do what only you can do. And that is, Lord God, give us that sense of your love, your hand, your touch. Father, lift us out of any depression, any darkness, any difficult place, any strongholds. Lift us out tonight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's my joy to share with Nicola. It's about once a year that we do this. And we want to talk tonight about orphans and sons. This is the grand theme of Scripture. It's not a sub-theme. It is the revelation of God as our Father. It is us moving from slaves or orphans into the fullness of sonship. Will you allow me one digression? In this house, every nation, Joburg, we've studied scripture and we've studied church history. And we are very clear in our minds as to what the word of God says, that women can be anything and everything. And I'll give you one example, and this, this is a side point. But when I talk about being sons, we believe women can be anything, in ministry, in business, in anything. But let me just allow me one moment. Arguably the greatest moment in church history, apart from the last 70 years, apart from the last 70 years, which has been phenomenal, the greatest moment was the first 300 years, from 30 AD to 330 AD. 
until the time of Constantine. The church was alive and on fire and signs, wonders, miracles. It was incredible. Making disciples, believers, trusting God for great things. And in that time, you had women elders. And only thereafter, Laodicean Council of 340, 350, 360. They took a long time, their councils. Um, did they come up with things like the woman Presbyteres or the Presbyteres, that's a feminine form of elder, shall no longer sit in the front row. So, as I said, this is just a sidetrack, and I just felt it this, felt it this evening. Um, this morning, we ordained a woman to head up um, one of our congregations, one of our churches, Rosettenville, and just felt the power and the grace of God in such incredible ways as we laid hands on Marita. So when we talk about moving from orphans to sons, ladies, as men, we become the bride of Christ. And we're not asking you to give up your femininity, but when we talk about sonship, we're really talking about coming into the fullness of the inheritance. So if I use the word sons, I'll try to use the word sons and daughters, Nicola too, but I doubt we'll get it right fully. But in this house, we believe women can be anything. And we believe it's biblical, and we believe it's backed up with church history. What is an orphan? Someone who's been deprived of parents. They are the most vulnerable of society. That's why it's the biggest focus of us as a church. That's why our havens, our African havens ministry, is primarily focused on orphans. In the Old Testament, the first mention of orphans was in Exodus. And God's heart was passionately for them. And Israel is, was, a metaphor of an orphan. A fatherless nation that God adopted and made his firstborn son. In the New Testament, Jesus said to his disciples, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will give the Holy Spirit to you. I will not leave you alone. And it's by the Holy Spirit that we cry out, Abba Father. When we pray, Jesus taught us to pray, Our Father, Papa, Daddy, Abba, Baba, this is the great theme of Scripture, that we are called to be, that this is the heart of God, that we would be His sons, and that we would experience His Father's heart. In Roman times, and I'm going to look at Romans 8 in a moment, in Romans time, a man, a full-fledged citizen of Rome, could effectively make anyone his son. And similarly, he could refuse. Be it the child of his wife, he could say, this is my son, or he could say, it's not my son. His mistress, or no relation at all. Could be an orphan, could be a slave. By his will, he could make someone his son. And it's important that we understand that because God has chosen to love us. God has chosen to make us his sons. Now, I don't know how old I was, maybe eight or nine, but I heard the story of how delighted my dad was that I had come into the world. And I can't remember all the words of it. And I realize that some of you haven't had a story like this, so just, just walk with me in this. I heard how glad he was that I'd come into the world and the little present that he gave my mom when I was born. You know what? 
It spoke to my soul for years. And I had a difficult time growing up, and my parents nearly got divorced. There was all kinds of messes. But what spoken to my heart for decades was that there was a delight in me being a son. And let me say this. The delight of God over every one of us, over you, you, and you, is infinitesimally greater than the delight that my father had over me. God has such a delight and such a desire in you being his son. The only question is, will you respond? Your choice. He reaches out, you respond. Will you allow yourself, will you respond? Will you become the son of God that God wants you to be? Classic passage of scripture. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This is God's desire for us. This is his heart's cry. And there should be something in your soul, deep in your spirit, man, that you know that you are a son of God. By the spirit of God, by the spirit of adoption, that you know that you are a son. Now, if you don't feel it, it's one of two things. Either it's because you're not, which is not good news, but we can help you. (laughs) Or there's just so much clutter in your life. There's so much propaganda. There's so much stuff in you that you don't sense that spirit confirming that you are his son. But we are meant to live with the sense of sonship. We are meant to live with the confidence and the joy and the peace that God delights over us. That before we were a twinkle in our father's eye, God had us in his heart. And he intended for you to be here today. Galatians 4 just repeats this in a different way. And this should speak completely to your identity before anything else. Before you see yourself as man, woman, black, white, colored, Indian, Chinese, South African, American, doesn't matter. You should see yourself as a son of God. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out Abba Father. That's very close. It's very familial. It's very informal. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. This is the identity that God intends us to live in. And the purpose, and Nicholas is going to unpack this in a moment. What does it mean? We are meant to manifest God in this earth, on this world, in this cosmos. For all of creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. And I'm not going to unpack this in much detail. Champ is going to speak a bit about it four or five weeks' time. Our identity is in sonship, and our purpose is likewise found in us saying, I'm a son of God. 
and I'm called to reflect him. I'm called to show the Father. I'm called to show forth my sonship to the world. I'm going to ask my beautiful wife to come up. Married her 25 years ago. Woohoo! struggle without this. Thanks. So when we talk about mindsets um, of sons and orphans, this might be completely new for you um, when we talk about mindsets of the different things, or like most of us, we're somewhere on that spectrum of having mindsets of a son, but then in some areas we've still got mindsets of orphans. And, and when we see that we've still got certain mindsets of orphans, we need to bring those things before the Lord and allow him to start working in those areas um, of our lives. So the, the first um, mindset that I'm going to talk about is the image of God. And how you see someone determines what you'll receive from them. And likewise, how we see ourselves is of utmost importance. So an orphan sees God as a master, and there's either little or no relational capital. And this radically um, alters the expectations of faith. And what it actually does is it lowers your faith and expectation, because either you feel like you can't even ask God for anything, or you are trying to protect yourself from pain and disappointment, because that's might have, how it might have been in your life growing up. Um, and so a son sees God as a loving father who is constantly delighted by them, as Roger said earlier, just his dad's delight in him. And this is so important because when we walk through the seasons of life, um, it will determine our image of God. So either we're walking through those great seasons in life or there's extremely difficult seasons. And what it does is depending of our image of God, we will relate to God in a certain way. And then if, if we know him as God our Father, it will, um, our circumstances won't be an indication of his love for us. So often we see our circumstances as an indication of God's love for us. And this happened uh, to me. So I, I've walked through two um, stressful um, health challenges in my life. And the first one had to do with my sons when they were very little. And they were both sick at the same time. And it was a long season of, of sickness. And what happened was though, even though I loved God, I had often thinking in this area of my life, and I couldn't relate to God as a loving father. I just, I, I struggled so much because of this orphan thinking. And, and what happened was that I began to make judgment calls on God. Because when I brought my needs before him, and he didn't answer me in the way I wanted to be answered, it caused me to make these judgment calls on God, and it caused a distance in my relationship with him. And I remember him saying to me, he said to me, Nicola, will you love and serve me even if I don't X? Even if I don't do this for you. And again, he repeated and he said, Nicola, will you love and serve me even if I don't give you this thing that you're asking for? And through fighting tears and fears, I finally consented and conceded. And God 
worked such a miracle in my thinking in this area of my life. He changed my thinking, and he laid a firm foundation in my life, which took me to a new level in him, which was a level deeper in our relationship than ever before. And I can see what it's done in my life with God. And yes, he did. He did heal my children. It took time, but it wasn't the circumstances that changed first of all. It was my heart thinking that changed first. And then my circumstances changed. Um, so the second uh, time I had a health challenge was my, my own health. And the way I related to God the second time around was completely different to the first time. This time I drew closer to God um, during the challenge. And because I had the right image of God, I was able to bring him my disappointments and my losses, and I was able to process them with him in a healthy way. God is a completely interested, very present father who loves our attention 24-7. And my thinking's changed so much from the first time to the second time that when I come to God and I come to him to talk to him, I feel like so many times I'm the only human being on the planet. <laughs> and it's like heaven shines its spotlight on me and announces to God, your daughters come to visit. That's how I feel in his presence. And it's so different um, to the way I used to think um, when things didn't go my way. When you know the Father's heart, there's a confidence in you that arises. There's a willingness to take risks and to persevere in the face of opposition. And you've got this healthy tension going on in your life that you've got more confidence than you would naturally, and yet at the same time, you're completely unimpressed with yourself. <laughs> because the more infatuated with God you are, the less impressed with yourself you become because you're more impressed by him. The second thing is dependency. When we think like an orphan, we either think we don't need God or we don't want God or we are paralyzed and defeated. And orphans are living between these extremes. And one of the dangers of not needing God is that you actually become more impressed with yourself um, on the journey. And we know that leads to pride. But when you've got the revelation of who you are as, as a father, it shifts our perception of ourselves and how we view life. And a son both knows that he needs God, and yet God has empowered him at the same time. Sons live interdependently with God. When I think about my own natural sons, James and Sean, they've left home in a sense because they come home twice a year. They're studying at varsity um, in another province. And they, they've been empowered by us. They've been released by us. And what I mean by that is we've said to them, go, I believe in you. We believe in you. So they've been empowered and released. And yet at the same time, they live interdependently with us. And what that means is that, they, yes, they still depend on us for their substance, um, you know, for their varsity fees, <laughs> but they, they seek us out relationally. They ask us 
to pray into their lives. They ask us to speak into their lives. They ask us for wisdom in their lives. They ask us to put our hand of blessing on certain things in their lives. And so they're living interdependently with us. Um, And it's a sign of a healthy relationship, which is completely different to the way that I grew up. Um, Growing up, I had this, this crazy kind of British parenting going on where they said children must be seen and not heard. And so, so we didn't know how to relate to our father in the same way that I've learned to relate to my heavenly father. The third mindset is that of peer relationships and self-image. Now there's a story in Mark 10, and it's a story of James and John. And they go to Jesus and they say to him, teacher, we want you to do for us, whatever we ask you. And Jesus, so patient with them, says, right, what do you want me to do for you? And they tell Jesus that they want to sit, one at his right hand and one at his left hand in glory. To which Jesus says to them, you actually don't know what you're asking for. And so many times, we probably don't actually realize what we're asking God for. Because what we're asking him for means that we'll have to go through a season of preparation and training so that we can actually walk in the blessing that we're asking him for. And the other 10 disciples are listening to James and John asking Jesus this. And the Bible actually says that they become indignant with them. And they're probably wondering why they chopped liver in this instance, because there's two positions that James and John are asking for, and there's 12 of them, right? If you don't know who you are in God, you'll always be fighting for honor. An orphan fights for recognition, for self-promotion, and for justice. And what I'm talking about here is self-justice. There will be competition, comparison, and rivalry. And whatever you gain through self-promotion, you'll have to maintain through self-promotion. But whatever you gain through the Father's promotion, He will sustain in your life. So a son sees who they're meant to be and they never want to be anyone else because they know that there aren't any second-rate siblings in the kingdom of God, that everyone has a purpose and a reason for being here. Sons come alive in their purpose. They are positive, they are affirming, and they are able to walk with humility and unity with others. They are able to rejoice in others' successes Do you remember the story, the the classic story of the older brother in the prodigal son? He was unhappy that his younger brother was given a second chance. And he was also unhappy that he got a party thrown in with it. And what did the father say to him? He said, son, you've always been with me. And all that I have is yours. So as sons, what we do is actually we release other people into their destiny. We find the gold in them and we call it to the surface. And unlike the brothers James and John, 
that I talked about in the earlier story, asking for those positions of, of self-promotion, we don't need to look for our own accolades and our own glory. The fourth mindset is the source of comfort. Now, when we think like orphans, we don't know where our source of comfort or life comes from, and we will always be looking for love in the wrong places. The orphan spirit will always seek comfort in counterfeit affections, in compulsions, in addictions, in busyness, in escapism. But a son knows the source of life. He knows where his source of comfort comes from, and he will seek out the Father. He will seek out time with the Father. He will seek out time with other Christians, and he will seek the Father's will in looking for the lost. It's so vital that we get our thinking right in this area because as we think, we are. And then the last um, mindset is the motive for service. And this is completely different. The purpose for serving for a son is completely different to an orphan. An orphan serves to gain identity, to please the father, but a son serves from identity in the kingdom. A son comes from the perspective of hope. He has hope because he sees himself building something with the Father on earth, not just for the Father. Sons make the best servants. They really do, because they live within an awareness that they are connected to a Father who has unlimited resource. The word says that Jesus, knowing that the Father had given everything into his hands, and as Roger said earlier, we are co-heirs with Christ, so we can live with an awareness as sons that we are connected to a Father who has unlimited resources, and that provision is available for us. And I'm not just talking about money, all right? Resources are always so much larger than money. And probably some of you are thinking, hey, I'll just have the money, you know. <laughs> I, I, can, I can do a lot with that. Money is part of resources, but resources is always larger than that. And we have to let our thinking increase in this area. We have to expand our thinking. Sons realize what they have access to. It's always more than they thought they had. It affects the way they live. They live differently because they're able to give stuff away, whether it's their time, their talents. They can lead other people through discipleship. It will include their finances, etc., etc. When we think like a son, we're less likely to come with our demands to the Father, and we're more willing to, uh, to serve. After James and John had asked for those permission, uh, positions of promotion, and they'd zigged off the other disciples, Jesus gathers them together, and this is what he says to them. He says, he tells them about rulers who throw their weight around, their power goes to their head, they lord it over their subjects, their authority, and he says, but you are not like that. And he says, whoever wants to be great among you must be a servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must be a slave to all. And he says, for the Son of God did not come to be served, 
but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And something following on from here that happened in John 13, again, Jesus says, knowing that he came from the Father and was going back to the Father, he rose from supper, he laid his outer garments aside, he put on a towel, and he began to wash the disciples' feet. And this scripture makes the point that Jesus knew who he was before he knew that, that God had given him all things into his hand. And so what comes from knowing? Knowing results in things. When you know who you are, when your identity is in God, it results in things. And in this instance, it results in extreme service. Jesus was able to serve in the face of betrayers and the face of those who denied him. They could become beneficiaries of his service because it didn't affect him, because he knew who he was. So when you lead as a son, you actually rule with the heart of a servant. And you serve with the heart of a king. And that means that you can do any job really. You're not afraid to get your hands dirty. And it doesn't mean, and it, well, it means that your earthly title or your lack thereof never gets in the way of where you, where you serve. So anything that we offer him as sons, when our thinking is right and we serve as sons, whatever we do will attract his presence to us. And then the world begins to see sons that are taking their rightful place. And they bring healing, they bring liberty, they bring restoration, they bring joy, peace, and righteousness. And that's God's aim for our lives, is that we become sons in his kingdom and that we take our rightful place. Amen. Awesome. I get that every night, I promise you. Sometimes I just want to go to sleep, and Nicola's giving me sermon after sermon. She gives me my best material. So how do we fully become a son? I want to talk just briefly on the process of becoming fully a son. And this verse is that great tattoo verse. You, know, you put on your arm, how's it going to work out? Romans 8.28. Everything going to be okay with your life? Romans 8.28. All things work together for good. 8.28. Sorted. And there's a misunderstanding of this verse. This verse describes process. This describes, and note what it says here. We know that all things work. There's work involved. There's a working of our soul and of our life. So often we think it's Disney. Da, 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 da. Cinderella, you know? That God's working is like, boom. But it's not like that. God works things together. He works things together for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. And what is so often ignored is the next verse. Because this is the whole context of Romans 8.28. 
For whom he did foreknow, he did also predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn amongst many brethren. The whole context of all things working together for good is that we are transformed, that God works in us for us to become sons of the Most High in its fullness, in the fullness that Nicholas spoke about. So how does this working take place in a practical way? Hebrews 12 was written to Jewish believers in a time of great crisis, about AD 60, just persecution, Jewish Christians being fed to the lions. And this letter comes and says, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's padeo, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord Padeos, and I've made that word up, the apostrophe S, the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as Padeo. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not Padeoed by their father? Many of the Jews are starting to wonder, is it worth it? Is it worth pressing in? Some of them were tempted to quit. Or some of them were tempted just to stop where they were and not to go any further with God. All of us face discouragement. All of us have felt a temptation where, you know, following Jesus is maybe inconvenient because it's not so fun right now. And here comes this word padeo. What does it mean? It's translated. This is from, we get the word um, pedagogics, which is the teaching, the, the study of teaching of children, and uh, the pediatrics, medicine for children. What does it mean? The word literally means to train children, to instruct, to be taught, to be corrected, to be disciplined. And so often we just find this so politically incorrect discipline, yet God loves us so much that he will train us, that he will instruct us, that he will teach us, that he will correct us, and he'll even discipline us. We carry on reading. For if you have not been padeoed, and everyone undergoes padeo, then you're not legitimate. You are not true sons and daughters at all. If you're not getting any discipline, you should be concerned. Moreover, we've all had human fathers who bedeo us, and we respect them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They bedeo us for a while as they thought best, but God bedeos us for our good in order that we may share in his, in his holiness. No bedeo seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Firstly, let's be very clear. Padeo is not punishment. Jesus has taken the punishment of all of our sins 
upon him. We're not talking about God punishing us for our sins. It's talking about as a father would train his child and correct his child and instruct his child. I don't believe that that, that pideo comes in the form of illness or disease or abuse. I don't believe it. Jesus has come to conquer these things. So I don't believe this happens. And, and the very context of this whole passage of Scripture was that they were experiencing persecution. I do believe that we are refined through persecution. I do believe that discipline and teaching comes to us as we stand up for the Lord. I do believe that. It's interesting, this word, the same word today is used in Ephesians 6 verse 4 where it says, Bring your children up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And it's in 2 Timothy 3 verse 16 where it says, All Scripture is God-breathed and profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction. Padeo in righteousness. So what is Padeo? It's the proactive, progressive training to prepare you to become the person you never thought you could be, but always wanted to be. Don't you want a friend who's going to help you to be the best you that you could ever be? Don't you appreciate somebody who sees who you really can be and should be and are meant to be and calls you up? Or do you want to just have a friend who just lets you stay the way you are? God loves us so much that he bedows us, that he instructs us, that he disciplines us, that he takes us on this journey. Three thoughts as a wrap-up. Firstly, you are not alone. Sometimes as we are fighting sin, as we are fighting temptation, as we are fighting disappointment, it's like a beach ball. Have you ever had a big beach ball in the swimming, in the swimming pool and you're trying to keep the beach ball down? <laughs> you're just trying to keep that beach ball down, you know? <laughs> Sometimes we feel, and it's deception, we feel like we're the only one. You go to your family gatherings, and it's like, my whole family's crazy, I'm the only one, except for Uncle Bob, and now he's backslid, you know? <laughs> if you can't beat them, join them, you know? And, and this deception comes into us that we are doing this alone, and we start to feel sorry for ourselves, and we get an attitude and we fall away. We need to understand, as it says here, everyone who is a true son of God undergoes Padaya. If you're a true son, if you're a true daughter, there is stuff that God will take you through that you might come out as gold. Secondly, what we go through sometimes doesn't feel like fun. Are you one of those people who, if it's not fun, I don't want to do it? Why should we do it? It's not fun. You know? Jesus dying on the cross wasn't fun for him. Great things that are worth doing in the natural, inventions and degrees and businesses and Caring for a dying mother. These things are not fun, but they're so worth doing. 
just because something isn't immediate gratification doesn't mean we shouldn't do it. The great man, the great woman, is able to defer gratification immediately for long-term gain. Friends, don't be those people who do something on Saturday night because you can't delay gratification. And then on Sunday morning you face great regret. We're not called to live for fun. Now, let me just bring something in here. Is God the God of fun? He made fun. Is the God the God of humor? He made humor. Just look around. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. Sarcasm. I mean, you just look at Scripture. It's right through the Bible. Is God the God of beauty and fun? All these things. And what he has for us is unbelievable. But let it not be that you start to say, well, because this isn't fun right now, immediately, I'm going to give it up. It says, no padeo seems pleasant at the time, but painful. And lastly, padeo, as I said, is helping you become the person who you really are. There was a famous football coach, Dallas Cowboys, Tom Landy. He said the following, my job is to coach, sorry, my job as coach is to make these young men do what they don't want to do so that they can become the men they've always wanted to be. My job is to coach these young men, get them to do what they don't want to do so that they can become the man that they've always wanted to be. Punishing is about looking backward. Training is about going forward. Can we bow our heads and pray together? Holy Spirit, we welcome you here right now. We pray your breath over every heart. Lord, where we have been grieved, growing up where we have wounds and scars and disappointments from childhood, where we have hurts as adults, from family members, from the church, from from life, even with regards to you. Lord God, we bring all these things before you. And we pray, breathe in, Lord God. Father, our purpose tonight is that we'd not live as orphans. We would not have an orphan mindset. We would not operate as slaves. But we would live with that deep sense of sonship with the mindset of a son and that we would embrace your correction, your teaching, your instruction to our souls. So Father, breathe afresh into these hearts that need it. Your fatherhood, your love, your goodness. And Lord, Though often you don't answer the questions that we ask. Lord, answer the question, the deepest question of the heart. And, and that is, do you love us? And are you with us?
Just allow the Lord to whisper into your heart his love. Spirit of adoption is here. And what he wants to say to you is, I love you. And I'm for you. Bring your heart to me. Bring your heart to me. Bring your disappointments, bring your struggles. Bring your mindsets and bring your attitudes. Bring your stuff. Lay it at my feet. And Father, I pray for every one of us, for a heart that would receive your instruction. Deliver us from where our hearts are rebellious, where our hearts are angry, where our hearts are proud. Deliver us from this, Lord God. Cause us to have hearts that are open to receive your love and also your instruction, your leading and your guiding. Thank you, Father.